Welcome, you are listening to the Overseas Life Redesign Podcast, where you'll hear fun, relaxed, and inspirational interviews with people who are really living the dream. I'm Dawn Fleming, an attorney turned alchemist, and your host for the show, coming to you from the tropical island paradise of Isla Mujeres, Mexico. Listen to conversations with courageous souls who've stepped out of their comfort zone and designed a new way of life. They'll share their experiences, wisdom, and offer practical steps you can take to redesign your life overseas. Listen, and you'll believe if you can dream it, you can achieve it. All right, I'm here today with Allison Sawyer Current, also known as the Dog Lady of Mexico. And I'm really excited about this interview because you have been on my list um, for a while to interview. And also many people have said, you need to interview Allison. So thank you so much for taking the time. Oh, it's my pleasure today. to be here. <laughs> so I guess where I'd like to start is this major accomplishment that you just had last month. I read you and your team, your, your organization, spayed and neutered eight over 1800 animals 1847 i believe was the number number. (laughs) and i know your goal was 1500 so you totally blew by that number this was your seventh year of the clinic how in the heck were you able to accomplish something like that i mean well we've been doing it for so many years and we have just the most fantastic group of volunteers and we've become friends and people come back every year for 12, 13 years they've been coming back and they take a little more responsibility every year which is really exciting and um, we're getting more organized. I have a partner for the first time in the, in the rescue which is uh, Trina Nooks and she's a uh, uh, computer whiz and very organized, and she's uh, made it um, easy for us to move ahead organizationally-wise. So um, we just have, we've got leader heads now, you know, that we've got the supply leader, the, the housing leader, the food leader, and all of this stuff that I used to do by myself, which made it stay smaller. Right, absolutely. So you got a nice org chart, and yeah. uh, everybody oh, yeah. has jobs. Everybody has a job, and uh, but part of it too was the neighborhood. It's a very poor neighborhood. It's an emerging uh, community. It used to be ranches, and um, now it because it's called Rancho Viejo, which is old ranch. And because we've been coming back, we always include uh, training and and. Um, try to uh, help people to care more. So, uh, and people are caring more and they're seeing the value in the animals. The fact that a hundred of us show up and we're there to help their animals has to, has to, you know, go somewhere with these people and it does. And so this year it was extraordinary. They were lined up down the block. There was, we'd have two lines. On the right side of the door was the cats and, and on the left side of the door was the dogs, and they'd go two blocks in both directions. Wow. And the one thing that was extraordinary this year is we have never had so many cats. Mm-hmm. Ever. Ever. I mean, people, uh, cats are sort of considered your wild animal that lives around your front door and you throw it food. And these people obviously were keeping cats in their homes and wanted to 
you know. Well, that's wonderful. As a cat person myself, um, that warms my heart. Yeah. (laughs) I had read somewhere that the statistic was about 90% of the cats are feral. They really don't have owners. Only about 10% really had owners. Does that sound about right? Uh, It might have been right a few years ago. But But not anymore. From what we saw, it was extraordinary. People were bringing cats in bird cages. (laughs) They were bringing cats in bags. They were bringing cats in anything that they could find. And we did almost as many cuts. It was was a surprise to everybody. Wow. Yeah, it was great. Well, fantastic. So let's go back in time. So I was uh, reading a little bit about you, and it looks like uh, 2001 was the year you're Canadian correct and you and your husband moved down to Mexico in 2001 is that correct well I'm Canadian but I married an American and moved to Boulder Colorado in oh one of my favorite cities oh well (laughs) love Boulder it's changed a lot oh I'm sure when I when we moved there it was a little artsy community which worked perfectly for me because I'm a potter yeah so it was really different back then but uh, so my I'm married twice. My second husband is from Colorado, and I'm from Toronto and still Canadian. But we decided to, we just love this island. You know, everybody who comes here oh, yeah. falls in love with this island. And it was way more way uh, laid back oh, yeah. then. You know, all the streets were sand, and it was for anybody who didn't want the big city ambiance of Cancun it was perfect so we came and finally uh, in 2000 we bought a piece of property and that was it we were we were done we were here (laughs) so did you ever look at other places in terms of moving outside of of the United States or Canada or was this kind of the only choice no we were always looking for a place on the ocean because my husband's a dive instructor Okay. And we used to go on dive trips every year, and we were always looking for the perfect place it had to be on the ocean. One of the main reasons that we uh, moved here was because we rounded the North Point one day, and there was that piece of property for sale, and that was it. We, we, we were done for. Was that, how was that transition? Was that um, something that was easy for you, or...? It obviously, when you, you got here, you saw the situation with the animals, but I, were you anticipating getting involved as much as you did when you Absolutely made that move? Absolutely not. I mean, we used to come down and stay at the condos on the north end of the island, and I would participate with a few women that I'd met in some dog rescues. But I certainly didn't have the overwhelming obsession that I ended up with. And uh, it wasn't until we finished building the house and, and I started to see it on a daily basis. And there were dogs everywhere. There were wild packs of dogs on the beaches who used to uh, pack up and attack tourists every once in a while. There were puppies coming out of the woods, coming out of the bushes, coming out of empty lots. There were puppies everywhere because it wasn't the islanders' fault. They, they didn't have any way to spay and neuter their animals. It was only the year before we moved here that there was actually a vet on the island. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? You've got dogs or you've got wild dogs that live near your house and you feed them a little bit because you care. And um, pretty soon they're having puppies. What do you, you have no way to avoid it. 
So there were dogs and puppies everywhere, and there were wild dogs, like really wild dogs, like dogs that are dogs like a, like a deer is a deer, you know, that have nothing to do with human beings. Yeah, I started coming early 90s, and even at that point, I remember there were a lot of street dogs. I don't really remember the packs too much at that point. I think they had maybe um, subsided a bit there, but uh, yeah, really skinny, um, underfed, you know, uh, the really young ones with the nipples, and you know, they were breeding very, yeah, bad skin. And it was heartbreaking, and it was interesting just not knowing you or your story. It was interesting as I came back through the decades to see it improve. And I, you know, until we moved here and I uh, learned, you know, about your organization, I wasn't sure what happened, but um, obviously you were the, the impetus for that. So you have a U.S.-based uh, nonprofit organization I do. that you have also set up with that. So walk me through that, that whole trans. I mean, this is, so only seven years the, the clinic has been going on. Is that, is that correct? Well, this was the seventh year? Yes, but Islay Animals has been around since the year 2001. Right, right. So something significant happened along the way, it sounds like. Well, I started out helping these two girls, Molly and Genevieve. Well, they weren't girls. They were young women. And they owned a used bookstore here. And they would take in, they were both very community-minded, and they would take in these puppies, and they would keep it in the, them in the bookstore, and then people would come to, to the bookstore, and they'd adopt them, uh, mostly islanders. Eventually, they had so many puppies that the bookstore started to smell so bad oh, no. <laughs> that they were losing business. So I told them that I would... Um, take the puppies to my house. I had a, a room over the garage and I would keep them up there and then when they were healthy I'd bring a few over to the to the bookstore every day. And we did that for a while but soon there were just more puppies and more puppies and some of them grew up and it just eventually started that uh, I was having a dog population at my house which is a half acre of land. Mm. And that just... Uh, then the girls, sort of the young ladies, backed off, and they had an organization called Amigos de los Animales, Friends of the Animals. Uh -huh. And when they backed off, I started Isla Animals and made it a nonprofit based out of Boulder, Colorado. Okay. And that was obviously so that you could allow your donors to be able to get right. the tax deduction. And also, I would imagine, um, because of the the huge numbers of adoptions that take place in the United States, that that facilitated that uh, effort more, or was that part of it? Oh, I don't know. I, I sort of, they, they had done that. I was following their pattern. Okay. And it was more, I think, for the, the tax reasons for people to donate, trying to get okay. anybody to donate anything right. at that point. Sure. Sure. Well, that's, um, I used to do that as a business attorney. I used to go through that process of um, qualifying nonprofit organizations. That's not an easy thing to do. No. So, you know, bravo to you to getting that done because it's, you know, it, at least when I was doing it, it would, it could take 18 months to two years before you would get the IRS approval for that process. So that takes a lot of commitment um, and a lot, it's a lot of paperwork that you have to go through. Well, one of my best friends is a bookkeeper 
and she took over in order to move down to Mexico. You really have to have somebody who's watching out for your mail and oh, yeah. your Canadian, your American interests while you're gone. And so she took over me as an account, and then she got us the nonprofit, and she is amazing. And it took a long time, but she got she did it perfectly, and uh, that was that was a big relief. Well, and what a gift because that can be very expensive. They, you know, attorneys and accounts can charge a lot of money for that right. service. So, um, good to have someone in your corner yep, that's doing that friends. for you. Yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. So, I was uh, reading a little bit about your book, and that was actually your second book. Right. I, I guess you um, do. You have a, a background in in journalism or literature or anything that you just started to write, or how did that? those books come about? Well, other than the fact that I, I love to read. I okay. love to read. I read um, just, I read so many books that I often don't remember the names of them when I'm finished and somebody will say, have you read this book? And I'll go, mm, that doesn't sound familiar. And of course I leave through it and I've already read it. So I read a ton. And the joke about the book, the first book, which is called Nowhere and for the Ashes, is that I thought it was such a great idea. I was going to write a book <laughs> to raise money for the animals. Okay. But I had no idea how hard it is to get a book published, especially if you don't have any background as a writer or a journalist or anything like that. Then, you know, trying to break into that genre is like just ridiculous. So it was hard. It was easier to rescue animals than it was to try to get my book on writer. <laughs> so, and obviously, you know, uh, most writers don't make a great deal of money off their books. So the, my dream of making a fortune off of my book to support the animals was uh, a dream, obviously. Uh, but it was really fun to write, and I, I enjoyed it immensely. And um, so that was my first book. And then the second book, I just had so many stories just so many stories and so many things that happened during the, during all the years of, uh, I mean, breaking into a society, breaking into a culture that you really, it's not like I studied the culture, the Mexican culture before I came in. And really, if you come in and you want to make change, you have to know the culture you're living with and living amongst. And uh, especially when it comes to animals, I mean, it's black and white, it's especially here on the island, because they saw the animals as a pest. They were mm -hmm. like, like rats. They were like, you know, pesky raccoons, let's say, if you live in a, on a farm, raccoons. Sure, absolutely. Groundhogs can be a pest. Well, that's mm -hmm. the way they saw dogs. Mm -hmm. And trying to, in my mind, break through the difference between the way I saw a dog, which is part of the family and sure. who stays um, in your house, probably sleeps in your bed, on your couch, everywhere, to see this attitude was extraordinary and then to try shocking to, yes yeah, shocking and then to adjust to it without hating everybody which of course you had to do because that's this wasn't my country you right. know I can't walk in and say this is the way to do it you you just you can't do that I mean you won't get anywhere right so uh, so how much time was there between the first book and the second book oh I'm slow <laughs> It took me 10 years to write the first book and 10 years to write the second book. Okay, so book a decade. That's yeah. not too bad. <laughs> 
but the second one was was very different from the first one. Oh, yes. the second one was way harder to write. It was. Yeah, I tried to write it as a biography. Right. But I I don't know how people write biographies. I, I don't know. It's like well, I was going to ask you about that because I I saw that it was fiction, although it really is. It's really your big. story, it's, your is. and Jeff's story, yeah, right? Right. So how did you make the decision to to change it from a biography, from nonfiction to fiction? I don't know how people write biographies. It's like going and standing in the middle of the street and taking all Well, a lot of times they off. have someone else write their story. So but they, they have don't do it themselves. they have to that much of themselves to somebody well, who's going true. to write the book. And I'm just, I just couldn't, I just couldn't uh, give that much of myself. I, I had to hold something back about me. So it was much easier to write it in third person, which is what I ended up doing. Okay. So were there so there are things that you didn't necessarily disclose about Rose that or or how did that work? I mean, did it did it give you the freedom to say, Oh, this is Rose, this isn't me and then still sort of bear your soul but not as Allison, but but through the character of Rose. Well, it gave. I really just dealt with the character of Rose, who definitely is a reflection of myself, um, but only in the context of the dog rescue. Okay. I mean, my feelings that had to do with what was going on in the dog rescue; those were easy to share. But you know, in a biography, people really want to dig into your head and mm. find out what really makes you tick. And I'm not saying that I. I held back on any of that, but I focused on the dog and the rescue. A biography, you're focusing on your I see. And I didn't want to focus on myself. You didn't want the story about you. You really wanted it about yeah, the Yeah, I really animals. wanted it about the animals. Okay. And the rescue. <laughs> and um, and that book is still being sold oh, as, as a fundraiser. I know that all the, the proceeds go to... Well, not all. Okay. I'm trying to pay off some of the editing fees. Okay. And... and uh, but it it uh, published as a bestseller. Wonderful! Uh, was, yeah, yeah, I'm very excited. They haven't put the medallion. They've got the medallion on the the um, Kindle edition, but they haven't managed to get the medallion on the the hard cover of the book. Well, we'll have to get all your fans to um, send them notes and say, "Hey, say, we hey, want to see the bat. The where's yeah, the bat?" Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's selling very well. I'm really pleased. In fact, I uh, was just writing somebody from India this morning. Oh, wonderful! Who, who wants to uh, do a piece on it, and I thought, well, wow, I've heard that dogs are really bad in India, so maybe oh, it'll help somebody. Yeah, in Asia, a number of countries over there. Well, we'll certainly put the link to your book in the show notes so that okay. anybody listening to this um, podcast can. Uh, access that information and be able to get that. We'll be back in a moment. Isla Mujeres is a Caribbean jewel off the coast of Cancun. Castellito del Caribe warmly invites you to enjoy our spectacular oceanfront villa located in the heart of El Centro and a short walk to Playa Norte, which is ranked one of the top 10 beaches in the world. With an ocean view of crystal clear turquoise waters overlooking both the Caribbean and Cancun city skyline, we offer a fabulous location for you to enjoy all the peace and tranquility you're looking for on vacation, while also taking in all the excitement the island has to offer, with activities either in walking distance or a golf cart day excursion away. Please visit 
castelitocaribe.com www.castelitocaribe.com We look forward to seeing you soon. Integrity Vacation Property Management. Trust, truth, results. From buyer's representative services to rental market analysis, staging, marketing, and full-service property management, achieving your goals is our top priority. Visit our website at www.integrityvpm.com and get our free guide, Self-Manage or Hire, a property owner's checklist of issues to consider. Contact us for a free consultation to see if we can help you maximize the return on your investments. Integrity VPM, raising the bar in vacation property management. Welcome back to the Overseas Life Redesign podcast. Thank you so much for being here, and we invite you to subscribe if you like what you hear. So let's switch gears a little bit. I'm kind of interested to learn more about how you and your husband have managed to navigate this. You have you have very um, different lives. I know he, you said he is a dive instructor and wonderful musician. Yeah. We've had the pleasure of uh, listening to him perform. And he obviously has been very supportive in this, this whole thing. Was it always that way? Or did he kind of, was there any time that he was like, Allison, you're, you're turning into kind of a crazy dog lady? Or... Um, <laughs> Can you share a little bit about that? (laughs) Well, we always put it this way, that I support the dogs and he supports me. So, I mean, he is not hands-on in the least. Okay. Um, But, I mean, one time we had 65 dogs at our house. Oh, my! Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the beginning was incredibly difficult. Uh, which I think is one of the reasons I wanted to write the book because, you know, people say to me all the time, oh, I want to do what you're doing. Uh. And as I told you, I always think, no, you don't. You don't. I mean, most people who do something like this, they, they, they're smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> they start off with an idea and they go through the steps to make the idea work, which, of course, I didn't do. I started off with the passion and just charged forward. And um... Well, that is not the first time I have heard that story. Uh, there's another guest that I interviewed that sort of had a similar situation in that I saw a need and I just went forward and I didn't have any background or plan or anything. I just went for it. So it's not as uncommon as you might think. To, to approach it that way. Well, one of the things I, I always tell people is, you know, you don't wait to do something until you have the answers to all the questions because you'll never do it. It'll well, be not too- only that, I had uh, one person say that if I would have had it all strategized, you know, a big strategy and it all planned out, it would have been too daunting. I don't think well, exactly. I would have done it. That's what I'm saying. Whereas exactly. you, you just put one foot in front of the other right. and, and move forward and put blinders on. You don't ever think about, oh my gosh, this I've, I'm climbing this mountain, right? You're just... And we we moved down here um, to relax and retire and at a fairly young age. So uh, we were doing well enough to to do that. And uh, as of now, we can't afford to live in our own house. It's for it's rented out. <laughs> what what was your professional background? Um, Potter. 
Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So you're, my you were an artist. Yeah, no, I was a professional potter. Worked all day, every day at my wheel. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Do you do that anymore or no? Well, I had a pottery studio at my uh, at the house that we built here on the island. And actually, at one point, we were doing surgeries in there. <laughs> Spay and neuter. <laughs> I mean, it really did take over every crevice and, and uh, part of our lives. But um, we also had no... Um, no financial aid at all for the first 10 years. And uh, so we put everything we had into it. And I don't regret it. I mean, there's no point in regretting it, for one thing. But uh, it is what it is, and I don't need anything. Um, I wouldn't mind living in my own house, but <laughs> that's just too bad. Um because there, there really wasn't a consciousness back then for all of this animal care. I mean, even in the whole world, it's been bursting this consciousness to take care of animals, to care about dogs. And in all countries, you hear about these huge um, rescues in, in Asia and uh, big, huge spay and neuter clinics where they're all going to India to do it. And it's it's... It's just changing. The world is changing and becoming smaller, of course. So um, so you're plugged into that sort of global community mm-hmm. of, of animal rescue? And yeah. yeah. Is there um, any kind of uh, umbrella organization? Is there like a, any type, type of NGO that, that coordinates it all or shares information resources? Well, there's the, uh, what do you call it? The SPCA. Okay. And that's supposed to be an umbrella uh, but it's, it's, um, what can I say? It's, it's, it's concentrates mainly in the United States and okay. has a few outreaches, but, um, and there's, you know, there's other organizations that are reaching out, but they, I was always small potatoes, you know, I wasn't, uh, it, these days, Isla Animals is getting much bigger and people. Well, you were recognized. I saw the Doris Day Award. Yeah, um, well, that came out of the blue. I don't know where that came from. And then there was another award that I, I, I read about, I thought, in there, too. Did you I had another? some other yeah. that we were, we were recognized. I apologize. I don't have it in front of me. But but I was pretty impressed with, wow, um, she's on the map. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it, it has gotten on the map because people are starting to care so much. And we also, we changed our, our logo to Caring is Global. Because um, some people were giving us trouble about not just concentrating on the island, but the island's a lot better than it used to be. And so we've got a lot of work to do all up and down the mainland. And, I mean, how are we going to say we're just going to save animals on this little island when we have people donating from Canada, the United States, England, Germany, uh, all sorts of countries um, so we'll save an animal or do whatever we can anywhere we are. What about the rest of Mexico? Are, are there groups um, throughout the, the country and other places? There are, and I know a lot of them um, just from being, just from doing it for so long. Sure. And um, some, I've had some people who are starting them, and a woman in Tulum or south of Tulum has started something, and she's been writing in that.
asking me advice. I don't know if Lisa Well, I think great. you would be a great mentor as long as you say, don't do it, right? Yeah. And I start that way and say, don't do it, but if you're going to. And uh, she's, she's already ahead of where I was after the same amount of time because... Uh, well, that's how it should work, right? Yeah, you yeah. Things... You, you you invent the wheel and then other people can, uh, you know, use Well, that I don't model. know that I invented the wheel, but I invented it in my own head. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I didn't really have a mentor, so... Uh, well, that's what I'm saying. A, a lot of what you learned was just sort of trial and error, and now you have the ability to say to someone else, do this, don't do that. Right. Right, and you're saving them the, right. the time and energy um, to not do it the wrong way. That's right. Well, right. try not to. Try not to. Yeah. There's so there's, <laughs> there's always so, lessons along the way no matter what. I know. What. <laughs> there's so many ins and outs and and questions and different situations. I mean, there's nothing black and white about it. It's a it's a totally gray area. Interesting. Something else. <laughs> So what do you see um, going forward? I mean, it, it sounds like uh, the, the clinics now, you're kind of the orchestra director and you've got like all of the different uh, players that are they're playing that part. So that's taken a lot of responsibility off of you. Oh, it has. It's amazing. I'm now the founder. Right. Um, and, and you speak, I understand. You yeah. you do some speaking yeah. engagements. Oh, yeah. I mean, allow me to talk about dogs. You can't shut me up. I mean, <laughs> I'm ridiculous. Um, and, uh, uh, and But there's so many people that are helping now who are amazingly organized people and focused, and they're not throwing their entire life into it. They're maintaining a normal life and then... And dedicating their time alongside of that, which is exactly how you should do something like this. Right. Um, and so I'm just so fortunate to have people like that doing it. And I, we'd like to do as much as we can uh, anywhere we can. I mean, we have so many resources, uh, not necessarily financial resources, which we are trying to uh, raise more because the more we have, the more we'll do. The more you can it's, do. It's Absolutely. that simple. It's, sure. It's a simple equation. Um, but we have resources in people we know and people who approve of the way we're doing things. And we try to improve every year. And I think we do. And so people want to be part of what we're doing. And that's huge. Mm -hmm. As your organization has grown and matured, has that uh, shifted the relationship with like the government. I know you and I have talked about a lot of the, you know, challenges with getting the government, you know, like in the rest of North America, we're pretty used to, you know, pretty strict rules and, and that are enforced mm -hmm. when it comes to the treatment of animals. And, you know, uh, Tom always says, you know, Oh, you need a kennel license. If you have more than three animals, I believe that's the law in the state of California and uh -huh. there has to be inspections and all mm -hmm. that. And obviously we're, you know, miles away from that. It's here. a good idea. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it, yeah, yeah. In, in some respects it is, you, you could argue it both ways, you know, yeah. do you want the government to interfere? But you know, it is a, a health and safety thing for both the public at large and the animals um, as well. So how can you talk a little bit about that, how that's changed over the years? Well, one of the things that we are doing is, and I realized, is people were always saying to me, oh, why, why aren't you helping the children? What about the children? 
And as far as I'm concerned, we are helping the children. Because you cannot have a healthy community and have a bunch of sickly, stray cats and dogs wandering the street. It's the two things are not, they cannot coexist. Right. So in order to raise the quality of a community, you have to raise, along with any other kind of programs, the quality of the life of the animals that are there. And um, I think the government is really starting to, I mean, I think they always understood that, but it, it was more like to get rid of the problem rather than to solve the problem, if you understand mm -hmm. what I mean. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have government support. I mean, they, they love us. Oh, because, wonderful. Yeah, because we do, we do all the work. And, uh, and they're behind us, and that makes a big, huge difference. Mm -hmm. And um, they've given us the space for which we are very grateful that we have our clinic. Okay. And it's a very small space, but it's, it's a space, and it isn't my house. Right. And that's huge. And, yeah, if you don't have the rent payment that you have to cover. No, it. no, it's, it, we're very, very lucky. And... Um, and they're behind us. They work with us, not against us. When I first started, they worked against us okay. or me. And uh, now they work alongside of us, and uh, it makes a huge difference. And what do you attribute to just the results that you were able to attain? Do you think that the proof's in the pudding, that they, uh, you sort of gained respect in their eyes because they really saw the difference you were making, or, or, or was it something else? Um, I think it could be a little bit of that, but I think it's more that tourism has has just exploded on yes. this island, and um, tourists don't want to see ah okay nasty, yeah. mangy, starving animals. I see, and so they realize that the value of what they have depends on the animals and the the. The solution is not to kill the animals. They will. It it doesn't. It doesn't work. Right. They'll just come it right solve back. The it doesn't yeah. solve the problem. You have to change the the attitude towards them. You have to spay and neuter. Spay and neuter is the problem. The, Absolutely. The way to avoid a, a sick puppy on the street is to prevent it from being born. Right. That's that's the way to go. Less animals, more food, more love, more care. The whole. You know. It's works out perfectly. So, and they see the difference that we've made. So, it was that a process you had to sort of educate them that, that this like lead them down the path to say this is where we need to go with it or I don't know if I educated them. I think that um, as if people complained, you know, I mean, if your if your main industry is tourism and your tourists are complaining, then it has much, much more power. That was the impact. That yeah. was the impact. Okay. Little old me going, don't hurt the dogs, <laughs> wasn't, wasn't going to have nearly that amount of power. Gotcha. So uh, I would say that's more about it. Oh, well, whatever works. Yeah. I mean, if that's, if that's what it took. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. Although we have done, um, uh, about 10 years ago, I did a couple of span neuter clinics in the jungle, mm -hmm. deep in the jungle, where they only speak Mayan. Oh. And um, I was invited by somebody who was building churches there, and she saw the, the way the dogs were and the cats were, and she asked me, and we just went back there, 
And there is a different attitude. Now, whether that's coming in, a lot of the men work in Cancun, whether that's coming from Cancun and moving into there, or to see us go there two years in a row and do everything we could for the animals. And we make a big fuss about the animals. I mean, we, you know, we do everything for them while we're spaying and neutering them. We cut their nails, we clean their ears, we fuss about their skin, and we do this all in front, in of, front of them. And we ask people to participate, to come oh. in and to sit with their animal while it recovers from surgery and they see what we're doing. And hopefully it sinks in and, and has a... We, we do that on purpose, not just for the animal, but for the owner. Ah, and you have you really seen sort of the light bulb go on in that community? Yeah. Well, I think, it, well, it did seem a lot better. Okay. Um, but in the Rancho Viejo, where we were just working, the, the whole idea that there were so many people. I mean, it used to be that you'd have to go in and trap dogs. Mm-hmm. and bring them in. And yes, have, I remember you saying that. Yeah, and you'd have surgeons standing there ready and you wouldn't have animals because people weren't bringing them in. Now, we didn't go trapping once. Oh, wow. And 1,800 animals showed up, and all with people, and they stay all day. Wow. Yeah, so it's that's that's a change. Were you kind of overwhelmed by that this year? I mean, were you 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 didn't have I really have any idea this was coming or? Well, we have we've had that before. Okay, but uh, never to the extent, and never the cats. And these numbers are just yeah. astounding. Yeah, I mean, we used to, the first clinic we did there. We did in the taxista there, and I think we did two hundred and thirty, and we thought that was fantastic. <laughs> well, and it is. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, and every year the numbers have gone up and up and up. So I think that means that we're making a difference. Well, in talking with Trina too, um, she was saying that you're because you've been doing it for quite a while now. You really are starting to see the results, of the cumulative effect of. Absolutely. Having done this for so long, um, the numbers of, of stray dogs out there. and The best yeah. news is when nobody shows up. Right. That'll be the best news, and then we'll move on. We'll right. Move. Because the thing is, you can't just go into a community and do it once. You have to keep hitting that same community over it's and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And when they stop showing up, then we might go in and trap a few and transport them to our vet's mm-hmm. clinic and have them spay and neuter. Because we do have an ongoing... Um, an ongoing spay and neuter program over there where uh, uh, rescues will ask us if if they find females or any dogs where we do it and we do and we go take it to our vet and he'll do it and his animals pays for it right Thursdays right? well no that's Thursday, a different oh, thing that's, that's a, different, a thing. different thing that's okay. on the mainland that, that oh I see it. there's one over there too but okay. but here on the island that's why here I don't feel we we ever need a spay and neuter clinic because we have a free ongoing every Thursday last Thursday we did 20 animals wow you know and we average about 12 to 15 a week so okay. that really adds up sure yeah and it's a small island right well and uh i uh, want to uh, make sure that we mention too one of the the things that you do uh over there is invite uh visitors tourists to go walk the dogs that you have and engage um with the the community here so you want to talk about how that works a little bit oh it's great it's great. What a system. I'm telling you, it's like, it's just a great system. People people miss their animals when they go on vacation. 
And they love to be part of something. I mean, doesn't everybody want sure. to be part of something and part of something that helps and, and makes a difference? And people come, I mean, I rarely walk into the clinic and there aren't tourists there that want, that are playing with puppies or they're taking dogs for walks. And it's like, it's perfect because it socializes our animals. They get exercise, the puppies get played with, the dogs get trained. People come in and go, oh, watch this, I can get this dog to sit in 10 minutes. And they do. And then, you know, and then some people come in and say, I, I love this dog, I, I have to have this dog. And if it's spayed and neutered and healthy and has uh, at least two vaccinations, then we will help them take the dog home. So that's how we keep taking dogs in is we send dogs out. Well, just in this past year, um, two of our uh, guests that have stayed at our house have uh, adopted animals. Oh, is that right? Animals. I yes. didn't know that. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, yeah. and uh, you know they just rave about the organization. And oh, well, can't wait to, to come over and visit the dogs when they're yeah. here and, and so forth. And I was like, well, you can take some more, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's amazing to me because we've been doing it for so long that some of our dogs are dying of old age at fifteen, at seventeen, right. and and I it just amazes me that 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 we've been around that long. It doesn't feel like so long. Yeah, or maybe it does. <laughs> Some days it probably does. Other days, not so much. I can't remember the life before. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, what do you see uh, down the horizon, say, five years into the future? Um, how do you see your role and uh, maybe, you know, what your long-term plans are for the organization? Well, there is nobody working. There are what is called backyard rescues. And that's where I started as a backyard rescue with okay. the dogs at my house and caring and doing as much as I could. Okay. And um, uh, there are backyard rescues in Cancun, but there is nobody really working in Cancun, really okay. attacking. And we used to, I used to, before Isla Animals got bigger, organize big um, spay and neuter clinics for groups like Vetus. They work out of... Uh, for columns, and it's a group of vets that come down and will do it if somebody will organize it for okay. them and get everything set up. And And I've done it for Jeff Young, who's now got a TV show on the animal planet, which I've never seen, but I'm sure he's great. And uh, we worked in an area called Bonfield, which is near the airport. And we did that for, oh, I don't know, we did those for five or six or seven years. And... I would like to get back to that. I would like to work in Cancun. There, okay. There's just there's a big need. Okay. You know, it's it's uh, it's pretty sad. So I I didn't hear that R word retirement or anything like that. That's uh, <laughs> <laughs> not on the horizon for you. <laughs> well, I I have to say I can step back just a little bit. I mean, Trina is amazing, and she's organized she and is. dedicated and wonderful. And I mean, she's she's literally shoving me out of the picture. I mean, what do they say? Uh, uh, a successful uh, person is somebody who works themselves out of a job, right? And she's working me out of a job. <laughs> so I, I think that's really successful. Well, I think it's fabulous because it gives you the freedom to do what you love, yeah. right? And not the minutia or the the 
right. kind of jobs that you don't oh, really no, want to do. Oh, no, it's great. So. I've, got a, I've got a mama, and I want to get back to just do it working with the animals. I have a, a mama and uh, five puppies at my house at the moment. The, the puppies have just opened their eyes. They're, uh. so, they're so cute. And I foster dogs, and Trina fosters dogs, and, uh, because we can't take any dogs into our clinic until they're properly vaccinated. Sure. So, uh, so yeah, it's really fun to get back to that and, and have a little time during the day. I paint murals on my wall. I can't imagine I have time for that, but I do. Oh, good for you. <laughs> yeah. Good for you. So you still have that creative uh, I have to do outlet. something creative or I start twitching. <laughs> Well, that's wonderful. Um, is there anything I haven't asked you that, that you want to share? Is, this has just been a, a fabulous uh, conversation with you. Oh, and um, yeah, I'm I've really excited to get more of the details about what you've been doing and also be able to share more with the world. Um, well, the, platform, the only so. thing I like to say is that we're the real thing. You know, I think that people get a little nervous about donating because they don't want it to be spent on advertising or salaries. They want it to go straight to what you're doing, to saving the animals. And we have no salaries. Well, we we do pay the ladies who take care of the dogs at the clinic, but Mm -hmm. there's no upper... uh, No administrators. Administrators. Executive directors. Salaries. And so the money goes... We are the real thing. The money goes straight to the animals. And the more we get, the more um, we can do. And every time somebody signs up for a monthly donation, they become part of our team. And, and you that. do have that the the monthly commitments that we people do. make. And oh, we that survive. Probably helps that. you yeah. budgeting purposes. Yeah. Knowing so you've got money coming in every month, I mean, it's it's extraordinary. It's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, congratulations on all your success, oh, and um, I know uh, the the island for sure and beyond is really proud of the work that you're doing, and oh, okay. uh, wish you much success in the future. Okay, thank you. Thank you. This episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast was brought to you by our sponsors. Thanks for tuning in. Did you love this episode of the Overseas Life Redesign podcast? Then please subscribe to our show and leave us a nice review. It's very much appreciated. We invite you to visit www.overseasliferedesign.com and take the Are You Ready for an Overseas Life Relocation Readiness Quiz. We'd also love for you to become part of our OLR community on Facebook. Thank you for listening.